As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello and welcome to the show. The Phil Hay Show is brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Phil Hay is here from The Athletic. My name is Dan Moylan, here from The Square Ball with Michael Normanson. Uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic right now, read all Phil's articles on Leeds. There's loads of other stuff on there about football, sport around the world. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month for six months. Enjoyed the um, the long read on Rafinha's transfer. Some nice explainers in there, Phil. What else have we got? Uh, yeah, that was a pretty mad deal in the end, uh, which was exactly what we expected. It was messy. It was a tangle, but it did get done last Friday. Finally, I teamed up with the man I call the sexiest moustache in football writing, Jack Lang, one of our South American experts to write about Luis Sinestra, the man who turned up to sign for Feyenoord in a wedding suit. On suits? Did you see Rafinha's suit when he signed for Barcelona? Mm, yeah. He looked like croupier in a casino? I think he's doing cosplay. He was uh, dressed as an American footballer yesterday as well. When he's, uh, I'm still following him on, on Instagram. I can't quite let go yet. Well, he's, he's probably close enough to Monaco. He can go and um, meet up with Adrian in the casinos there. That'd be nice for them. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to get hooked up with The Athletic. And into the football. Um, we're off the back of the hottest day in the world ever yesterday. It's cooled down slightly today, Wednesday morning as we record. Always worth time stamping these because we know how quickly things can change in, in pre-season. And also the weather. So by the time you listen to this, it might not be like the surface of Mars. It might be like the UK, although you were saying to me that actually on the surface of Mars, it's not 40 degrees, it's what, minus 67? It's somewhere between freezing and about minus 70 yeah. at the minute, yeah. Smart <laughs> Anyway, it's a pre-season then, and the most recent data, if you like, that we have to uh, to analyse is the game against Villa and the 1-0 defeat. A game that got, got a bit tasty, didn't it? It did, and uh, not helped by the officials. I don't think the referee had what you might call a difficult afternoon. And it would definitely be one of those afternoons where Bielsa would have said afterwards, we all need to support referees and we need to, you know, they need they need our help. Um, and if it wasn't for them, we we wouldn't have games of, of football. They weren't great. He just didn't keep a leash on it. And it got me thinking afterwards, and this is just me thinking out loud more than anything, about the wisdom of playing in pre-season clubs from your division, you know, clubs in the same division as you, because there is always going to be, I think, that extra degree of competitiveness and rivalry, given that the players know each other, they've played against each other in competitive circumstances very, very regularly, twice last season and, and obviously the season before as well. And, and when it comes to Villa, there is a little bit of history, recent history between um, them and Leeds. And it did just start to 
to get a little bit feisty, a bit niggly, you could feel what happened to Archie Gray coming because there were tackles going in. It was a very poor tackle from McGinn. Poor tackle in pre-season because this is a, a kind of stupid time to go over the top. But I don't think anybody would have looked at it as, as a good tackle in the middle of the season either. And it looks like Archie Gray is okay. I mean, the, the initial thought looking at him, he looked in a, a lot of pain on the pitch and obviously had the leg brace on his right leg and stretched it off. And you assume to yourself that there was a high likelihood that even if it wasn't a break, it was going to be something something pretty nasty. He seems to be okay. I, I, it seems likely that he won't play against Palace, although I'm I'm just guessing on that front. Um, it, it, it might be that he, he's ready for it. Uh, but no lasting damage from what we can tell and, and nothing that's going to linger with him. But not great. Um, and it did become kind of the story of the of the entire friendly was the fact that it, it got a little bit out of hand. Stan Archie Gray, what were you doing the summer of your GCSE results, Phil? Were you... Uh... Doing similar sorts of things? Do you know, I, I should have had to, a thought about that. I can't even remember, but I'll tell you this much. I was not on pre-season with Leeds in Australia. Uh, he, he's looked incredibly good. I thought he was so effortless against Blackpool. Um, he wasn't really on the pitch long enough against Villa to be certain of, of how he was playing in that game and how it was going for him. But it does fascinate me that Marsh is basically saying he's a first-team player now because he's he has been playing for the 21s, clearly, but he's so young that he's barely had the, the sort of graduation or the, the education in the academy that most players go through. In terms of the injury itself, had you know had he been out for a, a while, I don't think it would have impacted on the first team plans, but it would have impacted on him. And this is a really crucial period of his, his development. So that was, that was not great. And I think I saw some people say on Twitter, you know, the referee should have started booking players earlier. I don't think booking players makes any difference in a game like that. I think what he should have done when it was becoming clear that it was getting a bit over the top was pull both captains and say to them, listen, don't be stupid at this stage. You know, it is just a pre-season game. I know the the Melbourne Cup is of immense importance to everybody, but all the same, you know, just keep it in the camp. The Queensland Cup, I think it is. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. I'm trying yeah. to think of its full name. I wonder <laughs> if it'll be like the, the trophy that Man United won in Thailand, which they left behind, although apparently they only <laughs> left it behind because it was huge and incredibly heavy and I think quite difficult to transport around the world. So it's going to get posted over to them. But yeah, not, strikes me as ungrateful. That to be honest, Phil. If if there are certain things that are worth breaking a leg to win, the Queensland Cup is not one of them. Archie Gray, yes. Last season, we took it as a sign that there wasn't enough depth in the squad, and he was playing. You know, he was he was close to playing, and now over the course of a summer, Marsh has seen enough in him to consider him a first team squad player. Is it too soon for him? Or is it a case of if you're old enough, you're good enough? Or if you're good enough, it, you're old enough, whichever. It doesn't look too soon for him. That's the only thing I would say. When when you watch him play, he looks very comfortable in amongst the, the players who are alongside him and, and the players that he's up against. There were two aspects to this with Bielsa. The first was that Bielsa said when we asked him about Gray that it was much sooner than he would have liked to be pushing Gray up to this level. He said he was asking too much of, of somebody so young, bearing in mind that Gray was only 15 when he first started appearing on the bench. But he did always caveat that by saying that's in no way to, to suggest that he's not ready, you know, and no way to suggest that he's not good enough and, and that his talent doesn't justify him being in the mix. It was just a case of needs must because Leeds were so thin on the ground. I don't think Marsh's plans for him this season will be much different. I think he will be around the first team for training. I think he'll be in consideration for first team squads. But clearly, it's quite unlikely that he's going to be right in the thick of the, the picture given the other midfield resources that Leeds do now have. They've signed Tyler Adams. They've signed Mark Rocker. They've got um, Giabi over from Manchester City. Forshaw is fit at present. 
you know, they don't need a, a match day squad that has seven or eight central midfielders in it. it. It's not, you know, that's just just not necessary. So I think he'll be held back to some extent, but he'll play a lot in the 21s. I would expect to see him in the League Cup, certainly potentially the, the FA Cup as well. Two games then? Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be his, his season in, in a nutshell. But if he if he's progressing at the rate that he seems to be progressing, you would push him, wouldn't you? I think the thing you always have to be careful of with a player that young is that they don't get so much football into the legs and into the body at a young age that it catches up with them further down the line. I spoke to Mike Grella, the, the old leads forward for a piece we did on Tyler Adams recently, and he was talking about the fact that Adams had come through extremely young at New York Red Bulls, um, player that Marsh thought an awful lot of and, and really championed, you know, pushed him, pushed him through. To the extent where Grella was saying, he was under the impression that Adams had kind of sacked off a year of high school in order to come and train in New York with, with the Red Bulls. And he said, in England, you know, that's pretty conventional. That's what the, the best kids do. They, they still do their education, but school very much sits at the side and, and training in football is everything. He said, in the States, it's just not like that. You know, and, and they looked at Adams coming in, this really young, fresh kid, and they were all thinking, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing this? This is really kind of rash and really reckless because the, the convention is that you finish your studies and you finish your finish your education. And obviously Adams has gone on to, to really big things and, and is now at Leeds. But Grella did say the one thing I always wonder about him is how will his body hold up and, and what will what will he be like when he gets to 31, 32? And he wasn't suggesting that he won't still be in good shape, but he did just make the point that he'd seen Adams play a lot of football and, and train at a very, very high level at a really young age. And that's, again, as I say with, with Gray something that they will have to be mindful of is just managing his body properly. Our conclusion this week on our show about the Villa game was that it was pretty much a bright start. Villa got back into it and it started to get a bit scrappy again towards the end with all with all the subs and stuff. What, what did you make of it? It was even. It was even. The, there, was, there were chances here and there. It wasn't a spectacular game. I don't think you came away from the game thinking that Villa had looked considerably better than Leeds. I don't think you came away thinking that they'd looked particularly organised in a way that Leeds won. I think there is plenty to work on from the, the Leeds angle. It, it is becoming increasingly clear what Marsh wants to do. And, and I think when without it working perfectly, you can see what they're trying to do going forward. It is all about overloads in the middle and, and third man runs and, and you know balls in behind with runners who are looking to, looking to take that on. And it is big on pressing. It is big on counter-pressing. It is, as Marsh always talks about, it is going to be big on transition. That, I think, is what they're going to lean on right the way through the season. I suspect that we're going to be discussing an awful lot where the width is coming from. And it does seem to me more and more that it is going to come from the fullbacks. There's somebody on Twitter, Sean, Dr. T, people will probably know of him. We've been sort of arguing back and forward about whether this is a 4-2-3-1 or whether it's really a 4-2-2-2. And it has to be said that the line of three in behind the, the centre forward is tucked in really narrowly. It is, and, and that seems like a, a deliberate ploy. So I didn't think it was a... A bad performance, I didn't think it was a fantastic performance. It just felt like very much pre-season fair to me. One of my concerns in the final 12 games of the, the regular Premier League season was that we didn't really know what we looked like we were going to do with the ball in possession. I won't quote Hecky and say without the ball, with and without the ball. <laughs> I'll be hoist by my own petard then. But we did look better yeah, in possession. We looked like we knew more what we should be doing with it. And I think you saw it in Tyler Adams' play, like he'd, he'd pick it up and then ping it into maybe Aronson who would then ping it back. So it felt like there was a little bit more knowledge there in, in the heads of the players. A little bit more telepathy as well, I would have said. That was quite obvious against Blackpool um, without painting Blackpool as um, Champions League winners in waiting. Um, they, they looked a long way short of where they need to be. But even so, 
there was a good amount of understanding and it did seem fairly well drilled to me. It, there are aspects of it that definitely still need to click, but I think the positioning is clearer now than it was in the last 12 games. And I do totally understand that in that period of the season, it was a you know it's just a road rash of 12 matches in which Leeds had to get enough points to get over the line. Marsh was inherent in a squad that wasn't his. It was all very tense and anxious at Ellen Road. It wasn't a fertile environment to, to build a good team. It seems to me that when it comes to the, the kind of first 11 or your strongest 11, there's a potentially good team there. I don't doubt that at all. And I think it'll be better again if they can get a, a decent forward over the line um, in what's left of the transfer window and ideally before the season starts or, or soon after the season starts. The depth, I think, is better, but I think you will still find that when Leeds have to reach into the, the kind of depths of the squad as opposed to having everybody available, that that will probably compromise them to some extent. Although you'd hope it's maybe one, two at a push of the younger players rather than chucking them all in at once. Yes, and, and also ideally, and I mean essentially, avoiding a scenario where you're missing six, seven, eight players um, and where you, you're pretty much de- pretty much desolate when it comes to actually trying to put together anything like your, your best 11. I think the best 11 has, has real potential. I've liked a lot the look of Rocker so far, seeing good things in Christensen in periods, I think. And Michael touched on this, and I think he's absolutely right. You now feel that in the system Marsh is trying to use, there are at least the right midfielders for the right type of roles. Um, you know, it, it does feel more like round pegs and round holes there. And in that area, that that choice of two midfielders in front of the back four, he should have what he needs to make that work there. With Rocker and Adams in there, obviously Forshaw is one of them. Do we count JB as the other? I.e., is it four from two? Yeah, absolutely. Although I think Gray, you would consider Gray to be part of the group, but probably the fifth option out of those. And certainly Gray seems to have moved ahead of somebody like Lewis Bate in the order and the fact that Bate isn't in Australia and Gray is I think tells you how Marsh has seen it also the fact that Shackleton has gone to Millwall on loan I mean it was kind of put to him pretty expressly that he wasn't going to figure this season coming unless there were so many injuries that, that they needed to to lean towards him but clearly they, they're hoping to, to mitigate against a similar injury list this time round and it's been apparent to Shackleton for a while that, that he was kind of free to go if he could find a move yeah I think that'll be the case but it it very much strikes me that when the season starts, if everybody's fit and everybody is available, that it'll be Rocker and Adams in those two two roles. With Forshaw there, obviously, and Giabi. Um, or how are we pronouncing his name? JB. JB. Yep. JB. We must ask him. It was him who said the words JB. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've had about four, or at least I've been told about four different pronunciations, <laughs> but JB will do. Yeah, happy to stick with that. On bait then, there is a little bit of noise, some reports about him um, potentially going on a League One loan. Have you got any more information on that? He's somebody who I think is going to look for minutes. It would surprise me slightly if he was going down to that level because I know that previously there have been clubs in the Championship and in the Premier League who like the look of him. Although again, to what extent he would play for them, I guess is the question. If he does go out, then he he needs to be doing what Creswell's going to do at Millwall and what I think Shackleton's going to do at Millwall as well, which is play most games or or get a lot of minutes together. Um, One of the things about the Millwall move for Shackleton was that they, I think I've said to him, you'll play as an eight, you know, you will play in midfield. We're not going to be using you as a right back. It's, it's not going to be a case of versatility with you. you your preferred position is, is where you'll get to play. And that's clearly the case with Creswell as well. But Bate will be looking at this and thinking to himself, if you have those four players, plus you have Archie Gray, who seems to be ahead of him and, and clearly isn't, you know, seriously injured by, by that challenge by McGinn. What are his prospects going to be? And his prospects seem to be under 21's football. And, 
without him being unhappy about it, I don't think under-21s football was really enough for him last season. I think he re- he did get into the first team, obviously, in, in kind of fleet periods, but I think he wanted to play far more. I'm just going back a step to the defence. Um, do you think we've looked defensively better? And do you think you saw some evidence of that against Villa? Because it's probably the, the the most significant test, isn't it, of, of the credentials there? Because they just cut through us like a, a hot knife through butter towards the back end of the season. Um, and yet, I thought we looked a bit more solid with those two sat in front of the, the defence. It certainly doesn't look as flimsy as it did in, say, that Villa game. Yeah, Marsh's first home game and also the Chelsea game at Ellen Road. Um, the, the, the war pit fixtures in that run of 12 where it really did look like the goals could, could fly in. Where I think Leeds are susceptible is certainly in transition out wide. When the fullbacks push up, uh, they are prone, I think, to getting caught in that area. And one of the things you have to remember about the old system that Bielsa used, the 4-1-4-1, was that Phillips was incredibly good because the fullbacks were very high, you know, were minded to play very high lines to get forward to to essentially give the wingers an additional winger out wide to, to play with, which kind of left space open in the flanks um, if the, the opposition attacked. But one of the things that Phillips was really good at was reading those attacks and preempting them and covering out wide, essentially acting as a bit of a fullback when when he was needed to make sure that, that Leeds weren't compromised in those areas. It didn't work so well latterly and partly because he was injured and, and wasn't in the team. But yeah, that that to me looks like defensively where they seem weaker at the moment. But I think in terms of shape and structure with the ball in front of them, they look okay. Yeah, they do. As we're talking fullbacks, are we buying another? Should we? They're certainly looking at left-backs. They know now that Fulpo will be out for about eight weeks. It's going to take him into the start of the season, probably into September. They have been really happy with Leif Davis, how he's done in pre-season initially and also how he's done out in Australia. But I might have said already, the thing with Davis is that you can't say categorically that he can't play there and isn't good enough to play there. But you can't say categorically that he is either. And he's young. You know, he hasn't played much at all in the past um, season or so. They they definitely need another option there without a doubt. And they are looking. Uh, Levin uh, Kazawa at PSG, one of the names that's been linked. Any any truth in that? Do you is think? is being offered about um, yeah, certainly available for a knockdown fee, says the report. But he's thirteen September. Knockdown, knockdown fee is a great phrase. Yeah. <laughs> knockdown fee. It's like we try to clear this one out before the end of uh, end of the window. I personally think they'll go for something a little bit younger than you know full on experienced left back. I still think in Marsh's head, Junior Furpo is his first choice, and Furpo is the player he he wants to make work. And I I can see you pulling a face at that, but. You know, they, they haven't abandoned that one at all. It's just the fact that, you know, Furpo was probably one of this, the players more than any other who could have done with a really good pre-season and he isn't going to get it now. You know, he's had that one half against um, Blackpool, certainly in the public friendlies, and, and that is all and he won't play a game before the season starts. They've got to be covered in that position and particularly because, as I say, in, in the Villa game more than the Blackpool game, but, you know, to a degree in the Blackpool game as well, but certainly more so last Sunday, you could see the way in which they might get exposed out wide when the opposition attack. And, and they've, they're going to have to be good in those positions, right back and left back defensively and equally very good going forward as well because I do think that is where the, the wide play is going to come from. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
More on potential incomings in a bit. First of all, let's talk Jack Harrison then, Phil, because um, he's one of the names that has been prominent this week um, in the reporting on Leeds. Uh, perhaps a little bit of a slip-up in his post-match interview after Villa. Um, we'll see if he's going to be around for this coming season. Um, we'll see if he's going to sign a new contract because he is down to two years left, just like Calvin and Rafinha were. Where are we on this now? He got the interview duties, post-match interview duties. Um, they were allocated to him after the Villa friendly. And the final question was a bit out of the blue, really. Tell people what they want to hear. You're staying, aren't you? To which Harrison replied, we'll see you. We'll see what happens. I've written about this. Um, this was one of those throwaway, ambiguous remarks that kind of makes everybody do a double take and, and is very much open to interpretation. And it's, I felt it was a little bit difficult to tell whether he'd, not anticipated that question, been ambushed by it and hadn't really had it straight in his head what he was going to say um, or whether actually he was saying exactly what he meant to, which was, we'll see, we'll see. This one has been bubbling in the background mainly because there's never really been any indication that Leeds actually want to sell Harrison. When it came to Rafinha and Calvin Phillips, they were open, obviously, to the possibility that both players might stay and there was talk about contracts and everything else. But there was no disguising the, the reality that if Barcelona bid enough money or if Manchester City bid enough money, the natural flow of things in football meant that, you know, your, your best players tend to gravitate towards the, the very elite level. It's unfortunately the, the way of the world. And, you know, Leeds didn't really make any pretense to the fact that those transfers could happen, probably would happen, that they weren't going to obstruct them if um, if the price was right. That was absolutely fine. I think most people have, have pretty much accepted that and most people pretty much understand why those transfers have gone ahead. Harrison is is different in the sense that you wouldn't say that while he's a very much a prominent first-team player and he has had you know some really good seasons at Leeds and he was very much a key part of, of Bielsa's side, you wouldn't consider him a crown jewel in the way that you do you, you did, Phillips and, and Rafinha. But he is in this, with those two players gone, he is in a slightly unusual position at Leeds in that he is a player who has intrinsic value, but also has a fairly short contract. You know, he's got two years left on it. Somebody has suggested to me that there might be an option in there to to extend, but as it stands at the moment, it is running for two years to, to 2024. Virtually every other player is tied down for longer, and you do have exceptions to that rule, like Adam Forshaw, for example, who's got this year and then there's an option to extend. But the difference um, with Forshaw is that his market value is nothing like um, Harrison's for a variety of reasons. His age, for one, but also the amount he's played over the last few years. You know, Forshaw is not going to be a 20, 25, 30 million pound player, whereas Harrison clearly could be. And the thing about Harrison is that there is real interest in him from Newcastle and there has been all summer. They like him a lot. They, they like his engine. They like how tenacious he is. They also liked his goal output last season, which is something that they need to, to improve on. And they have been talking about him right since the, the window opened. At the moment, though, there doesn't seem to me to be any any real intent on Leeds Park to sell him. I don't think the numbers that Newcastle would be talking about would be tempting for Leeds. Newcastle seem to value him at kind of 20 to 25 million. Leeds would want considerably more than that. And, you know, Marsh did say last weekend, because he was asked about it after those comments from Harrison, which he was always going to be, he, he said... You have to think carefully about every bid that comes in, but bottom line, he's a big part of the plans and, you know, I'm planning with him for next season. When he signed that contract initially, Jack Harrison, when we finally got him on the permanent, three years felt 
not particularly long for a relatively young player. Normally you see four, even five, sometimes six years these days, don't you? Because it's better for clubs and their financial fair play. But why only three years then? Why not a little bit longer than that? Why not insure themselves against this situation? I can't answer that, actually. I don't know. And it's not only, as you say, that clubs these days tend to, you know, sign for, for longer periods. Leeds specifically do. If you look at the contracts that have, that have been handed out this season, in this window, sorry, it has been four years. It has been five years. You know, it's it's lengthy agreements that mean that you're protected for, for a long stretch down the line. He is young Harrison without being extremely young. So obviously when he signed, he was kind of 21-year-old prospect from Manchester City. He's now 25. He's got 150 games behind him. He's won promotion to the Premier League. You might remember that kind of 18 months ago, um, he was sort of on the... I wouldn't say the long list for the England squad, but he, he was among the players that Leeds monitor out with Gareth Southgate's core squad. There's always a group who they keep in touch about, who they keep in, you know, keep casting an eye over for the the time or the the moment where Southgate decides actually, do you know what? I'm gonna gonna pull them in a little bit, like happened with Bamford and, and Luke Ayling was another one who fitted the bill. Um, in that sense, he was someone that that Southgate had a, an eye on for a while. So he's gone through a, a good series of progression Leeds, Leeds have been a very good move for him he's been good for Leeds I think I don't think it was a surprise at all that he was so prominent under Bielsa because he is somebody who is very good at soaking up training and teaching and, and information and I think whether or not he's always able to implement that perfectly and he has had dips in form without a doubt I got the impression with Bielsa that he very much liked the fact that you know Harrison was very good at attempting to implement what he was being told and I always thought with Bielsa it was very important to him that what he tried to do worked. But I think it was also important to him that the players who were in the team made the effort to make it work, even if it didn't, you know, that they were doing the right things, that they were kind of implementing his instructions in the right way. And and that is what you, you get from Harrison. But you also get continuity. And I look at this, and, and I'd like to think that Leeds would look at this similarly and think, if you sold Rafinha and if you sold Phillips and if you now sell Harrison, it does rather paint the picture of a club where actually you are willing to sell anything that moves provided somebody pays the right price. And you guys often talk about churn in a squad, i.e. the turnover of players going, the players coming in. It would start to look like an overhaul without limits, I think, if you start to sell him. And I'm not saying there isn't a price at which you would say, look, it's expedient to to take the money. Because that's, you know, there is absolutely nobody at Leeds who is who is priceless. That That's pretty clear. But I think... To my mind, in terms of the big, expensive, outgoing business, they should surely be done after these two. Because they're already stretching the definition of the Leicester model somewhat, aren't they? By selling two crown jewels in, in one window, which is not what Leicester have done historically. Now, their, their current finances are a different story altogether because they're, they're struggling a little bit, aren't they, financially? But the Leicester model that's held up as the example. Well, that's an interesting topic of discussion, which I, I think people are going to get into more and more, Leicester, that having gone through this process where... It's been working for them to sell players, to reinvest, to to kind of develop. They feel a little bit like they're hitting a wall, you know, and and they that they might have a, a tougher period up ahead. But obviously, that's for for them to worry about. I don't think it was ever the long term plan or the, the the intention, you know, say going back eighteen months for both Phillips and Rafinha to go in the same window. But circumstances have have kind of dictated that. Not least the fact that Leeds struggled so badly last season. We're, we're kind of lucky to get away with not getting relegated. And I think that would have fostered the, the view in Phillips and Rafinha's head that there were better options for them out there and better things for their career. And it's very difficult to argue with that. Phillips in particular, I feel, going to City, I think that's a particularly good transfer for him. Barcelona, absolute basket case. And 
I mean, we should touch on that a little bit, actually, because even on Friday, when it was announced by Barcelona on their website that it was going to be private signing at half past 12, it was going to be public signing with Rafinha at one o'clock, it was going to be, you know, the, the keepy-uppies on the pitch, it was going to be press conference at this time. Even then, the contract was still going back and forward between Leeds and Barcelona, and Leeds were saying to them, there are aspects of this that you've not agreed, you know, aspects of this that you have to agree if we're going to do this. and. Basically, as Rafinha was tying his tie and that video was put on Barcelona's Twitter feed, that was the point at which it finally came back from Barcelona saying, yeah, okay, we'll accept all of this stuff. I mean, it's sometimes easy to look at a transfer and think, right, well, they just paid the money and it it got done. But it was a real mess and, and so complex, it was almost unbelievable. So given that Barcelona are a basket case, who knows how that's going to go for Rafinha? You know, is he joining a club who are going to win lots of trophies, are going to do really well? Is he joining a club who are in a period of real turmoil that's going to last for a while? We'll, we'll find out soon enough. But yeah, Harrison, I just think is different. You, you do need continuity. You do need a vein of familiarity in your team. He feels to me to be very much part of the furniture at Leeds. But what, one of two things is going to have to happen. Either he is sold, which you know Leeds are indicating won't happen, or they need to get into contract talks with him. And it wouldn't be a surprise at all if he does remain and then at either towards the end of the window or after the window closes, you, you see them, you see talks beginning over um, extending his deal. How much longevity do you think there is in this um, this Leicester model? Do you think there's much stomach for it among the fan base at Leeds? Because I do wonder how many crown jewels we can sell before people start to get annoyed by it. I suppose the the, the more pertinent question here is, can the Leicester model be all things to all men? Can it be suitable for everybody? Does the Leicester model not evolve over time and become something else because other clubs do it in a slightly different way? I think at the level Leeds are at, you're always going to be prone to clubs clubs with more money and more clout wanting to buy your best players and it's quite difficult to hold them back. So you always have to be realistic about the possibility of what you can do with big money that you can earn. I think what you have to avoid is getting into the mindset where you're constantly on the verge of selling somebody or you're constantly open to selling somebody. And that would that would almost be how it would feel for me with Harrison. That if Harrison was going, okay, if Newcastle offer really, really big money and you say, look, you just have to take that, you know, that's so much cash, you, you've just got to pocket it, then that's totally different. But I think if you were getting into negotiations for Harrison, unless he's trying to force his way out, you know, unless he says, I want to go, you know, I want to go to Newcastle. And Newcastle actually think they could tempt him. You know, they think they've got the means and the wherewithal to be able to say to him, this would be quite a good move for you. You know, you maybe want to think about this. But if he's not doing that and you get into negotiations with Newcastle where you're haggling over this and you're haggling over that, rather than them coming in and saying, here's a massive whack of cash and Leeds sit back and say, well, we have to take that, don't we? You know, we can't say no to that that's that's well beyond his his actual value then it does feel as if you're constantly on the verge of saying anytime somebody comes knocking we'll go oh yeah do you know what let's let's take the cash and the the thing about Harrison is that he he can be a very good player he, he blows hot and cold I feel and, and he did score 10 goals last season but I felt that he I, I don't think those 10 goals were necessarily necessarily equated to him having a, a good season I think it was tough for him in the way that it was for a lot of people but I do like his engine. I do like his energy. And I actually think when you look at Marsh's football, you can see a lot about Harrison that would fit with it. You know, the pressing and the counter pressing, the, the speed of transition, the runs in behind, that's kind of what he does. You know, that's how that's how he plays. And given how involved he's been in pre-season so far and also how involved he was at the back end of last, you know, last season, added to the fact of what Marsh is saying about him, it, it would make sense for him to stay. 
there's always been a the fact that if you've got a good player, there'll be a club with more money who will come and buy. I think the the understanding of the Leicester model from Leeds fans' point of view, I think, is that we will slowly raise the quality of the squad over a number of years and I guess try and grow, grow the club around it so you do expand the stadium and so you grow your revenue and then you can keep hold of some of the some of the players. I mean, the, the truth is Man City, if they come knocking for one of your players, they have the money and they have the pull that the player's going to want to go. And so there's, until we become one of those clubs with backed by a, a state, it's always going to be the case that those players will leave. For Harrison, I don't know, he doesn't feel irreplaceable. I, I guess if we can sell him and replace him and he could... I could see him as someone, someone like Kimai Roof when we sold him. That he was definitely a, a part of the first team picture, but equally, I think the money was decent, and the club maybe saw it as an opportunity to to get a little bit back on him. Um, so whether that's that would be the plan on Harrison, but I my instinct is unless it is we are talking thirty million plus, it's a bit of a risk to sell him. This becomes a good experiment then, though, doesn't it? Because as you were saying, the idea of the Leicester model was that you do sell the the absolute cream of the cream on top of the milk that's in your squad and you become better overall. So in a year's time, at the end of this season, it should be apparent whether or not signing the players who they have signed using the money that they've pulled in from Phillips and Rafinha has enhanced them as a team. And and they are signing, you know, with actually no exceptions this summer, players in that age category who are not, you know, going to be one-hit one hit wonders or going to give you a couple of seasons before they, they blow out in terms of age or you know, sustainability, it, it is guys who are 21, 22, 23, 24, you know, Rock, I think 25. So in that ballpark, and, and so the idea should be that, yes, you do get better, you do improve because you've got more resources in terms of numbers to work with because if you scouted these players properly, you should be able to get a whole lot out of them. I mean, to take Sinistera as, a, as an example, you know, his numbers at Feyenoord last season were absolutely brilliant, you know, both in both domestically and also in the, the Conference League as well in, in Europe. So if that translates, then in theory, you should have a very good player there. And yes, you've lost Rafinha, but if you've got somebody who is very good in that kind of role, as, as Sinistera could be, backed up by you know an improved midfield with Rock and Adams, then yeah, you, you, you should get better. But that is the test, isn't it? With the amount of money that has come in this summer, is it being spent and, and has it been spent? Will it be spent in a way that means that Leeds are... a a superior side next season to how they were last season. Just on the general point of, of growing the club, the West Stand stuff seems to have gone very quiet. It has, actually, yeah. I mean, there's been very little communication, public communication from the club about anything since the end of last season. You know, there's been nothing really said by Otter or Kinnear or, or Radrizani yet. I would assume it will come at some point before the season starts or before the window closes. There was some reflection on everything that went on last season. And those would obviously be key questions. Where are we at with the 49ers? Because as it stands, I don't think there's been any shift in, in the shareholding. Although what is obvious is that the, the money that's coming in from Rafinha and Phillips has meant that there won't have had to have been any shareholder investment for transfers. You know, that money comes in, that money goes out, that funds essentially the, the transfer window unless additional money is needed. And, and had Rafinha not gone and there were targets that Leeds needed, that is the point at which you know you might have had to have asked for for cash from either the 49ers side or from Radrazani's side, and obviously that has an impact on the split of shares and, and equity in the club. But yeah, likewise, the stadium it would be useful because I think this summer was the one where we were really expecting that to start moving. You know, in terms of planning, it wasn't going to be a case of the West Ham was going to get bulldozed. You know, at the start of the 22-23 season, but in terms of planning and you know actual actual kind of structured dates for what was going on, I think this is where we all expected it to start. But the 
the thing in the background was always the fact that these projects are massively expensive and somebody has to pay for it. Yeah, Angus Kinnear told us last summer when we spoke to him that they would spend this season doing the background stuff, push the button on the uh, on the planning aspect. So it would be nice to get an update on that. Which they might still yeah. do. But as I say, finance will come into it and, and somebody has to pay. Do you think somebody was uh, spooked at a high level by what happened last season? Again, I'd love to ask that. I'd love to ask that of the 49ers, what they made of last season, what they thought of the fact that it was so close to being back to the championship, which is where they first came in. I mean, it had all been an upward climb for them. They signed up in the summer that when Bielsa was appointed, I believe if my timing's right, they bought the shares before Bielsa was appointed. And you would assume knew that that was in, in the pipeline. But, you know, very much, very much, you know, everything kind of going steeply up in terms of trajectory until last season when it started to go down sharply. Um, and there must have been anxiety on their part, given the investment that they've made, about what it was going to mean for the club um, if they drop back into the championship, because it isn't an exact science. You don't get relegated and then because you've got parachute payments and your, your Premier League side going down, you get promoted automatically. Again, it does happen. And actually, I think if, if you're being totally honest, it looks more and more in the championship like the parachute payments are having a bigger and bigger effect on, on the top end of the table. That would be fair to say. But even so, you've got to make it happen. And a 46-game slog in that league compared to 38 matches, you know, with the beautiful surroundings of City and Liverpool and Tottenham and everywhere else, it's um, it's a different world. Charles de Ketelaire. We should finally get some clarity on this one this week. We have seen on Wednesday morning, this morning as it is for us, uh, Jesse Marsh at the press conference in Australia directly addressing this, saying, yeah, he was the number one target. They're not expecting to get him. However, they've not closed the door on it yet either because it looks like, according to um, some of the um, the transfer Twitter accounts, that Milan are flying into Bruges to try and thrash this one out today, Wednesday as we speak. So we should have some clarity on it in the next 24 hours, you think, maybe 24, 48. Well, surely Bruges have to bring try and bring this to a conclusion now. And, and I would assume that the message to Milan will be, if you're going to do this, do it. If you're not, then don't, although I guess that's not so different to the scenario Leeds were in with Rafinha and Barcelona, which was that you know the message was pretty clear. This is what you have to pay. This is how you have to pay it. This is how it has to be structured. And there was an endless amount of you know back and forward about it until it finally got done last week. The thing about Milan is that for all that they are Serie A champions and you know, one of Europe's biggest names, historically one of Europe's biggest names, they aren't massively flush with cash and, and they aren't minded either to go hideously high on transfer fees. And they haven't rushed into paying what Bruges want. I mean, Leeds are perfectly happy to meet Bruges' fee for this and could also do to get last personal terms no problem. So they're 100% in a position to, to make this happen. But there does come a point, doesn't there? And, and I often, you know, I, I kind of wondered where Chelsea would have been at with this had Rafinha gone back to them and said, actually, do you know what? I'll, I'll sign for you. There comes a point where it becomes fairly obvious what the player wants to do. And I've never had the impression that De Ketlar has looked at Leeds and said, no, absolutely not. You know, it's just not, that's just poor move. It's, it's not for me. I just think he's looked at Milan and said, that's the deal I want. That's the move I want. Let's let's get it done. The other big link is to Calimundo at PSG. Two very different players, him and De Ketlar. Do, do you think they actually know what they want in terms of... Um a forward player because the Keller can sort of play right across the forward line can't he uh, behind the strikers or maybe up front on his own Callum Wendell more direct closer in sort of game style to, to Sinistera kind of a lot of running and dribbling and power isn't it yeah um, I think these days most clubs tend to go for fairly versatile forwards you know the idea that you can play 
in a front three. It was I went to the um, I went to the Football Writers Association dinner where Mo Salah was at, and someone he was up on stage. He won the award, um, Men's Player of the Year. He's been asked about his position, you know, and um, the person interviewing him was saying to him, "Oh, you know, so as as a striker, you know, as a forward, you must be." Delighted to have these goals, and Salah was joking with her, saying, "Well, I'm a left winger, me. You know, I play, or I'm, a, I'm, you know, when when I play, I play out wide, depending on um, depending on where the manager uses me. But it has all become quite hybrid, hasn't it? In the same way that fullbacks can like seen as wingers these days, forwards can be wide, forwards they can be wingers, this, that, and the other. I do think they need something pretty central, though. I think particularly because of the way Leeds play and because of where the balls are coming from and and how they're trying to get through opposition defences." You do want somebody who's comfortable playing in the, the role of a nine or you know slightly withdrawn forward, close to ten, something like that. So I think I think they know roughly what it is that that they're after. You'll have seen them linked with um, Martin Terry at, at Rennes as well. Interesting that one because we were told a few weeks ago that they'd been analysing him. The lead scouting department had been analysing him, but weren't sure and saw him as as pretty pricey. He had a very very hot season for Ren last year but it was his first where he'd really exploded you know scored a lot of goals and, and was very dangerous but his kind of numbers prior to that were, were not particularly standout and he is 25 so obviously quite a bit older than somebody like Ketla who who gives you more time and, and also probably have more resale value further down the line so essentially they want a forward they want somebody who will, will fit in with this and there are plenty of good options out there Do you get a feeling it'll be if not Ketla it will be somebody else rather than Callum Wendo? Because they like to do this, don't they, Leeds? They're happy to allow a little bit of noise to sort of um, get out there about certain targets. Then in the meantime, they're doing stuff in the background. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to know how this will play out because obviously if, say for example, Milan can't get... I mean, you've obviously got the list, Phil. Yeah, absolutely. It's just my pocket here. Better not read it from from top to bottom. (laughs) Um, But if, having say Bruges and Milan can't get on the same page with this and Duquette says, well, I don't particularly want to stay in Belgium this summer. I want to go. It was interesting reading Marsh's comments that he was... Basically saying in one breath, we believe he's not available, but in the other, we haven't let that one go. And that is your classic transfer scenario, particularly in the summer window, where you you sort of hedge your bets a little bit because if he is the player you want, and he clearly is the player that Leeds want, if it was to come up and you were to be able to do it, then you, you pile in and you do the deal. But you can't hang in for so long that you get caught out and that you can't do other other things. That was part of the reason why they wanted Phillips and Rafinha to go relatively quickly was so that some of the players that they were looking for didn't end up going elsewhere in the meantime, even if they were interested in, in coming to Leeds. If you get yourself into a corner where you're saying to them, look, we, we will sign you, but we need the money from X first. When's that going to happen? Not really sure, but hopefully as soon as possible. Sometimes players will just take the safer option and say, right, well, you know, this is on the table, so I'm going to go for it. But then you have... Players like Dan James, for example, who, because of how much Bielsa liked him, Leeds were always, always hanging on that one. It was always a case of, if that comes up and if Manchester United decide to sell him, let us know, which they did last August at late notice, deal deal was done. I don't think in any way they'll want to wait as long um, to sort out a forward, and I don't think they should. Strange, actually, looking at the um, at the Dan James thing, I was his name cropped up in a, an article about us signing Rafinha that I was looking at the other day. It was uh, Leeds of... Because Jane Sancho has been linked with the Man United move, but it's not happening. Dan James can't happen to Leeds, so they've got Rafinha instead, was the, the gist of it. And it's interesting to see how that one panned out. But that's the way that, that managers, coaches, recruitment people kind of fixate on players. They decide that they really like people. And I suppose to an extent you have to, don't you? You can't be so, I guess, close-minded that you don't allow yourself to think about others. And, you know, Leeds will be branching out at the minute because they have to. If Tiketla doesn't happen... 
can't be him and they can't go with with nobody. But at the same time, when it comes to analysing and, and kind of getting oversight of, of the targets out there you might like, you do tend to home in on a small number. You know, there are those that particularly appeal to you in the way that James really, really appealed to Bielsa going right back to, you know, his first his first season at Leeds and therefore it, it was done eventually. But the good thing for them is that they clearly have, you know, they have liquid money now because Rafinha's gone, because um, Phillips has gone. They have the cash to do a very decent centre forward. I don't think there would be much excuse for not getting one done. Ryan Kent then? Ryan Kent. This feels like actually the summer where Ryan Kent has finally gone off the gone off the menu, and you know maybe next summer we'll be dodging stories about um, Adam Traore as well. Or maybe those are just stalking horses for Rodrigo de Paul. You never know. He's <laughs> supposed to not be settled in Madrid at the minute, is he? Is he going to end up signing when he's like thirty six? Really, for the really, last, really, just to, to, just to please you. Just to the last this one twelve go. month extravaganza. Need to let it go. Need to let it go. Um, there's an emotional response by fans who will say, "Right, well, Charles de Catalat." He doesn't want to come to us. He wants to go to Milan, so we should forget him. We've spent too much time on him. Let's move on. That's not the way it works, is it? Uh, no, I do understand that, though. And to be fair, there does come a point at which you do have to say that. Um, I think the thing with this is that because Milan haven't just met Bruges' asking price in the way that a lot of clubs in Europe would have done, if they were going for De Ketla and they knew what the price was, they would just have said, OK, well, in the same way as, as Leeds have managed to, to line that up, they'd have said, OK, well, we'll pay that and we'll get him or we won't pay it and we'll leave him alone because we don't think he's worth that amount of money. Um, it feels a little bit like Milan are, without being anything like you know the shambles that Barcelona has, that wouldn't, uh, Barcelona are, that wouldn't be fair. It feels as if they're in that discussion where you're basically saying, we'd like to pay this, but we won't accept that. You know, This is what you have to pay. You know, Back and forward, back and forward. Probably encouraged a little bit by De Ketla putting his cards on the table in the way that he has, saying, you know, I, I want to go to Milan. That does kind of make it easier for the buying club when it becomes very clear that that, that is the only option. I mean, that's where Leeds were with, with Rafinha. They would have loved him to go to Chelsea because, I say he'd loved him to go to Chelsea, not because he'd have been playing for Chelsea, but because the deal would have been so straightforward and would just have been done in, in a flash, as opposed to, you know, the, the constant machinations of, of trying to battle through the contract with Barcelona. So yeah, no, you, you don't you don't sort of abandon a transfer just because it takes time to do, but you cannot get wrapped up in it for too long either. There's a there's a very fine balance. So worth hanging in there for. They obviously think it's worth just to see how this one plays out. Well, I, I suppose when you consider that it's still the middle of July and the start of the season is two weeks away, if they really want this one and it's not completely dead or they think that there might be circumstances in which it becomes a possibility again, then there probably is still time to hang in for it. But there is definitely going to come a point where if it hasn't happened, they're going to have to draw a line in the sand. Just a quick side note on Barcelona, by the way. Did you see that they uh, Rafinha's played his first game? They played against uh, Inter Miami, didn't they? Which is, is it Phil Neville's team, that one? And uh, Beckham's. Yeah, I was going to say, well, um, is Phil Neville the coach there? Because he brought on his own son and Beckham's kid, neither of which have had any MLS minutes before. Fantastic. Just, just brought them on for the tourist um, appearance <laughs> against Barcelona. And well, Rafinha scored, scored, took a nice goal and set up two more, but basically playing against like some children of some famous people. I do think he'll do really well at Barcelona. I just can't tell if the circumstances there are going to let him achieve really, really big things. Oh, well, not our problem. And, I, and as for into Miami, my expectations for them are not overly high. Do we need another forward then? We absolutely need another forward. It feels like we do to yeah. me. I'm, I, I yeah. feel like we've been ultra careful with Bamford. We were saying this on our show, weren't we, this week? Like they're proper kid gloves in him back to towards fitness. I think they want to tread very, very carefully. So that otherwise kind of leaves Gelhart. And then you get into the realms of um, Sonny Perkins, who's just only just come in 
um, on a three-year contract. We should mention that. Yeah, I, I, I've liked the look of Gil Hart. I think he's looked really good again um, and will continue to look really good. You're right about Bamford. They do seem to be being cautious with him and I can understand why. Um, he's barely kicked a ball in the past 12 months and it's not ever just the case where your body is, you know, somebody like Forshaw is a good example of this. It's not ever just the case that suddenly you're free of injury again so therefore you're able to play 38 games in a season He'll need to need to be built up. I think he'll play a lot this season, provided he stays fit. But they they will be careful. So, in answer to your question, absolutely need another forward. Yeah, and and given that Marsh is saying that himself, and the club are telegraphing it, you know, it'd be very difficult to roll back on that and say, actually, you know, we'll just go with with what we've what we've got because hasn't that been the problem? You know, that you you do need to be covered on on all bases. Perkins will join the under twenty ones. Good sign in that one. Good signing, not without complications. Uh, West Ham were really unhappy when he left on July the 1st. They said he'd turned down a professional deal with them. They also said in the statement that um, Cough Cough, they felt that another club had been kind of persuading him to um, to avoid signing anything else with uh, West Ham and, and move on. It should be said that Leeds would um, reject any claims of wrongdoing, but there is compensation involved in that one. When I asked about it, it was being discussed with West Ham, but I think there's a high likelihood it will go to tribunal um, because it's, it is all a bit a bit fractious. But he's very well thought of, very well thought of. Did well in Premier League 2 last season. At academy level, I think that's a good signing. What is the actual process for deciding the fee there? Um, there's, there's all sorts of things taken into consideration. So, for example, how much time a club has spent developing a player, potential development, in, in future years and so on, it's basically a, a it's basically a judgment on what is this player actually worth. Uh, clubs, most clubs will come to an agreement over a fee, and it is a bit kind of it's a bit of a sort of grey area at academy level because you're never really sure what somebody's worth exactly. They're not necessarily obvious things to compare them to elsewhere to say, well, he cost X, so this guy should cost Y. But you you essentially have experts um, who understand. Academy market understand finances and we'll look at Perkins and say on the basis of what West Ham have done with him, the, the money that they've invested in him, the stage he's at in his career and also you know what his contractual situation was. So he wasn't on a pro deal at West Ham, he was on a scholarship. That will probably affect the valuation, but they will essentially say this is what he costs. And we, so we bought a player without actually knowing what we're paying for him? It happens, it happens quite a lot at that level. If you like somebody and there's a dispute over compensation, then that's how it has to, has to get sorted out. I don't know if you know the answer to this because we were sort of mulling it over this week. Is this one not covered by the elite player performance plan, like the fixed fees that go between academies? Or is it different because he's going from a scholarship to a professional contract with Leeds? It's not entirely clear, or at least I'm not entirely clear on this, but having spoken to people, they've been saying to me, look, I think this probably will end up at tribunal, possibly in part because of how unhappy West Ham are about what's going on. Although, like I say, Leeds would dispute any wrongdoing. Um, but West Ham do seem to have their teeth into this one. Um, and it might well be that in order to avoid any kind of um, further fighting or, or disagreements, that that's how it has to be sorted out. The dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? It is. And, and it's happened at Leeds plenty of times that players have gone from Leeds and they either get a fee for them or they have to, to fight for money. Um, it's it's pretty ruthless at that level. Do you think we'll see any more movement at 21's level? They really, really liked George Hall at Birmingham, but the fee that was being expected for him was pretty high, so they seemed to cool on that one. And obviously, they've made the signing for Manchester City um, with Phillips going that way. So, you know, that's a, another midfielder on the books who admittedly is at, at first-team level, but at the same time, you know, there's a limit as to how much they're going to spend on that. So Hall was one of those that if it was to come around at some point, it wouldn't be a surprise at all because they really do, really do like him. But Perkins is someone they've had. I think we wrote about him right at the back, right at the start of, of June. 
somebody who they were expecting to sign this summer and, and were confident of getting. Well, it all kicks off in a couple of weeks. Um, Wolves at Ellen Road on Saturday the 6th. Before that, we've got Cagliari a week on Sunday. And before that, Friday morning, Palace. Are you going to be devoting a couple of hours of your time to uh, seeing how that one unfolds? Yes, I would think so. I would think so. You'd like to think again that you'll see players get pushed through more minutes this time, uh, that we'll start to see something getting closer to Marsh's starting lineup for the um, for the start of the season. Although I think the Cagliari game is probably more likely to be um, when you get it full metal jacket. But yeah, yeah, always worth a look, without a doubt. What do you think we will see? Because uh, Palace are missing quite a lot of their senior players, aren't they? A lot of them um, either haven't travelled or uh, have stayed behind for whatever reason. Yeah, which makes me wonder about the wisdom of the tour in a competitive sense. I mean, let's not pretend that there's not money in it for everyone. And, you know, there's been a, a kind of tourism aspect of this. From Australia's perspective, that's why they were so keen to get teams down there. But it seems odd to me that you go for a trip like that and you're not able to take so many of your players. Some are injured. No question of that. With some, there seem to be um, COVID vaccination issues. And it, yeah, it, it seems peculiar. So no, they, they won't be anything like um, full strength. Whereas Leeds, I think I think you'll see most players involved. I'd like to think we might get a bit more of a look at um, Sinistera. Really, he, he's been dripped in slowly, bearing in mind that he only signed a couple of days before they flew out to Australia. It's been quite a, quite a gradual bum with him um, in the game since then. But You'd like to think that firstly he'll get more minutes and secondly we'll start to see what he's about. Yeah, because he, he is, to all intents and purposes, the direct replacement for Rafinha and we've not really seen anything of him yet, have we so far? Diff- obviously stronger on different feet and tend to play on different sides of the pitch but he is still the winger that's arrived um, to replace the winger who, who's who been going out and he needs to be he needs to be good because of who he's replacing. He needs to be good because of the money that's been spent on him. But I do like what you know what people in Holland say about do They do think he's a really, really talented player. What's your mind do we need to see on Friday, Michael? An attacking system that works. I think that's a fair comment, yeah. It's not that there haven't been chances, but that is the area of the team I feel. That and, you know, the the dealing with attacks and transition against Leeds um, out wide, you know, dealing with that, I think those are the two things where you would like to see. Not necessarily massive improvement, but you'd like to have that feeling that it is starting to click and it is starting to, to come together. And is it all just making you hungry for the real thing now? It is very me. much yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. You can never read too much into pre-season, can you? So yeah, yeah you, it's um, the proper test of it will be Wolves. Well, from the moment I started writing about Leeds, that's always been the, the problem with the summer, is that you go to games and you try to draw conclusions and some conclusions are pretty glaring. Like, for example, when Leeds got humped at Berry under Simon Grayson, uh, you were stood there thinking... Could really do with some players, couldn't you? Um, and some signings. And if memory serves me right, that was the summer before Grayson got sacked and, and Leeds were nowhere when it came to, to competing for the playoffs. But quite often, the conclusions you try to draw are tempered by the fact that you're looking at the games going, yeah, but it's just a friendly, isn't it? And, you know, I mean, for example, on Sunday, it was better in the first half than it was in the second against Villa. But look at all the changes. You know, it's kind of inevitable, isn't it, that the shape and the organisation is going to go out of it once you start doing that. So it's interesting you ask that because I've been thinking about that all week. I cannot wait for the point again where it's blood and thunder and things are actually resting on these matches. It was interesting getting uh, Ben Parker's take on the co-commentary on LUTV where he's saying at this stage it's a lot about just getting minutes in the legs but also about shape. Yeah, no, absolutely. That That's what coaches will say every year. Fitness, one thing, but shape and understanding of system and tactics is the other. And sometimes it doesn't really matter if the opposition are cutting through you or doing what else because it's a sort of learning process 
um, about how you're supposed to set up, how you're supposed to be in possession, out of possession, the he- the heckin' bottom thing with, with the ball, yep. without the ball, against uh, the ball, with yes, it. Yes, never going to go away, that, is it? But at the same time, it still has to be seen to be coming together. I mean, to go back to that game at Berry, where Leeds got smashed over at Gig Lane, it was impossible to sit after that game and say, yeah, but, you know, you can see what they're trying to do. And, you know, they're, they're just sort of feeling their way into this. That was one of those nights where you said, this team is not ready, is it, at all? You know, it's not strong enough. It's not good enough. It needs it needs investment. I, I don't know about you. I'm sort of swaying at the moment between sometimes thinking, I'm, I'm quite, actually quite excited about how this team could develop, to thinking, I can't decide if this team is going to cope. And I think that's because there's so many unknown quantities in it. The, the system is fairly unknown. A lot of the faces are fairly unknown. Um, A lot of the faces who've signed have never played in the Premier League before. And I know it's not the case that a good footballer can't, you know, transition to this league and and do fine. But at the same time, it is at a certain level of competition, um, unlike most elsewhere in the world. You know, it is a tough, tough league. So it's basically impossible to say. I I think that will be the feeling of everybody at the start of the season. No idea how this is going to go. Yeah, it's exciting at the moment and I feel like the players all look good on paper but then it's one of those that do you look back at the end of the season having finished 19th going, how naive to think that all these <laughs> all these players signed from these young players inexperienced from second-rate European leagues could do the job for us but what we needed was just some good Premier League experience. Yeah, you soon, yeah. Can, soon find out, don't you? The thing, uh, it's always that thing, isn't it, of on paper. Reminds me of that thing from the Mary White who's experienced where they're doing a mock well, England one, line-up. One for, the, and, one for the kids here. Yeah, no, it is, yeah. Um, and they, they play Zebedee up front. They say he's good in the air. <laughs> but unfortunately, football's played on the ground. <laughs> but I, I, suspect, I, I suspect we're going to look brilliant on occasions. Other times it'll look pretty ineffectual and we'll probably land somewhere in the middle. Which, that, which, which is about what a mid-table team does. I think yeah, when, you, I, when you're mid-table, it's not that you're, you're consistently seven out of ten every week. There's some weeks when you're brilliant, some weeks it just doesn't work. Yeah, no, very much so. If you, if you are seven out of ten every week you tend to start edging up more towards the, the European places, not necessarily enough to get you there, but you tend to be to be pretty close. I just think when I go through the, the team and I think if it is you know, 4-2-3-1 or whatever, and you've got Millie, you've got Christensen, you've got Koch, I would play Cooper personally, left back. Hmm. Uh, you've got Rocker, uh, Tyler Adams, Sinistera, Aronson, Jack Harrison, Bamford or A, another forward up front. It's not a bad lineup. I don't think, but that does depend on how well these players adjust and how how well those who've, who've come in fit into the system. Well, we'll have even more data to build on this opinion when we've played Palace on Friday. Then we'll look ahead next week to um, Cagliari at Ellen Road, and then it's down to business with the real thing. Well, I won't because I'm away to Euro Disney. However, can you do it when you come back? Yeah, good. Yeah, why good. not? We'll do it why when not? you come back. All right, we'll return next week. We'll speak to you then. Bye bye. The Phil Hay Show. 